I think theology's for the clergy. I just believe in Jesus. Certain hermeneutics of eschatology demand an exegetical approach. I think you shouldn't question what you were taught in church. Isn't that blasphemy or something? Welcome, friends. Uh, this is Theology Unplugged broadcast. I am Michael Patton, and I am going to be your host along with my friend Tim, who you may be familiar with now if you've been joining us recently. We have we, we've gotten back on track here, I think, with yeah. Theology Unplugged, and uh, I, I think you can expect to keep on hearing us. We're, yeah. You know, it's taken so long because we've been here at the Credo House and getting settled, and there's just so many more things that we had to get done, but mm. we got the studio getting to the point. We're just now talking about outlawing anybody in the studio That's now. That's right. Yeah. It's a sweet studio. Yeah. Yeah. It looks, nice. it looks pretty good, and yeah, if you come down to the Credo House, we'll give you a tour and let you take a look at the studio. As you have a, um, a, a Luther latte, and how much do those cost now? They're two fifty for a small. Two fifty for a small, and that's better than Starbucks, right? Yeah, yeah, it is. Okay, good. Yeah, yeah. in in both funds, like monetary and also in taste. And taste. And ambiance. And, and you just you just will not ever be able to get one of those anywhere else in the whole wide world. Um, we are. Uh, continuing our discussion here, and we're just going to jump right into things here. Let's do it. Uh, we're continuing our discussion that we started a couple of weeks ago on um, on women in ministry, which is, you know, one of those minor topics that nobody really cares too much about. It doesn't bring up that much heat, but we feel like we're trying to make theology accessible, so we need to... That's right. And we're gluttons of punishment. Yeah. So yeah. we're just, we just don't receive enough hate mail. Yeah, that's right. Oh, well, this is, this is certainly something, folks, that I, I think, you know, he, here's what I would say. Uh, I would say it's important in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. It's not cardinal. We said that last time. That's right. And it's important, though, to repeat it again, for yeah. sure. It's important, folks. It's something you can have a strong... I've got a strong opinion on it. Yeah. But whenever it comes down to it, I can sit down with someone who does not agree with me on this and understand that they are they are a, a in fellowship with me to the fullest degree because of the cardinal issues that we do agree with. Yeah. Well, and I would even say you can definitely have varying degree. I mean, I think you're probably stronger than I am yeah. in how strongly you hold it. Yeah, but it, by the end of this broadcast, it'll be different. Okay. <laughs> well, I'm destined. I'm. I've made up my mind. I'm going to disagree with you. Actually, it may be different in the other time. way. You, you'd be loosened up, maybe? Well, we're going to be defending tonight the okay. opposing position to both of us. Yeah. And usually whenever I do that, I end up, while I'm going through it, going, goodness, well, this is a better argument than I thought, and I soften up some. Okay. Well, let's let's do it. Well, listen, let's, let's get the lay of the land. We're not going to take too much time to get the lay of the land again, but we're talking about the difference between complementarianism and egalitarianism. Mm -hmm. those, are the, 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 those are the best terms that we can use right now without kind of spoiling the pot, mm. um, egalitarianism meaning equal, complementarianism meaning uh, you complement each other. It's pretty simple, I think. Mm -hmm. But th this is the, I don't, I don't know, did we? Did you have anything in seminary where you went through this? I don't remember ever really covering this. I don't really remember either. I, I do, I have a vague recollection of writing a paper on this issue, but... Obviously, since the recollection is rather vague, I don't think I it was really a major focus of yeah, study. Yeah. And and I think I mean and I think that that shows that it is not a cardinal issue, but at the same time, it also shows that maybe it should have been covered a little bit more too because it is a hot topic and 
even when I was a pastor in Portland, I had someone come up to me, definitely a loaded question when they asked me, what is your view? And I could just tell by their attitude that they were expecting to lay into me based on how I responded yeah, to, yeah. To, to it. And so, uh, and it was, I had to disarm the person uh, physically. And then uh, once I got them on the ground and had their arm behind their back, then we had a good conversation. Well, good. So, I'm yeah. glad to know that. That, uh, <laughs> that helps out here to know the uh, repercussions that I might have to face here in a moment. Um, now, whenever we're whenever we're talking about um, this, we're 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 asking questions that have implications in certain areas, and usually it's those certain areas that cause the problems, not the foundational questions, the principles that people want to jump on first. But it's like, what do you believe about women in ministry? Yeah, so it's not so much the the theory or the idea. It's more the how do you implement this idea? Exactly. It's not, it's not, do you believe that women and men complement each other, you know, or do you believe that they're equal in their, uh, in their theoretical uh, abilities, you know, which is really the issue. Mm -hmm. Um, It's what do you do? Do you believe that women are supposed to submit to men? Do you believe that husbands are to um, exercise authority over their wives and over their family, or can a woman do that? Yeah. Those are the types of things that bring the controversy. Yeah, and so that's what we're going to be talking about here today. We've been talking about it, and we're going to be asking questions, um, or, or not asking questions. I guess giving a defense of the opposing position because I, I think it's valuable to do that. Oh, definitely. Yeah. We we try to do that with everything that we do here, and it's just a good theological method. Yeah. To not build straw men. That's right. And a straw man is where you where, where you, ease, you you build a defense of somebody else's position to where that can be easily dismantled. Yeah. So you make them look really dumb. Yeah. You know, like yeah. I'm getting ready to do for you here in a little bit. Okay. Yeah. Well, and where you I think if you build a straw man, you're only bringing up issues on their side that you can easily shoot down. Yeah. And you're leaving out the issues that you're like, you know what, they've got a good point here or mm-hmm. a good point here. Mm-hmm. And so where we're not going to do that. Well, and then what if you do that? It stabilizes things. It it creates the necessary um, contingency in your own thoughts so that whenever you approach the issue, I think you can you can handle them in a more balanced way. Well, and it doesn't seem like you're yelling past each other. Yeah, it seems like you're. Hopefully, where someone say like, "Yeah, you do understand my position." Yeah. Instead of saying like, "Oh, well, you you told my position in a way that that you don't really understand what I believe." Well, you know how much I love theological methodology, and I could sit here and talk about this the entire time and do an entire broadcast series of broadcasts on just saying the importance of ironically engaging the issues. Now, what does ironically mean? Well, it's kind of like what we're talking about. Um, It's a peaceable way in which you're saying, I am attempting to understand, you know, the sides. I am attempting to give credit where credit is due. Mm -hmm. I am attempting to provide balance. And that's what we're doing here. And that's why, folks, today we're going to defend a position called egalitarianism, which I am not an egalitarian, and you're not an egalitarian. That's correct. At least not right now. At least not right now. But by the end of this broadcast, we all may be changed. And then we'll, we'll convince ourselves otherwise when we defend complementarianism next. That's right. I'm not saying next time because we may take a little while on egalitarianism. Mm-hmm. But egalitarianism is simply this. It is the belief that men and women are created equal. Okay, We all agree upon that. Each side, good. So far, so good. Mm-hmm. But that equality extends not only to their nature, in the sense that we're all equal in the sight of God, 
but also to their abilities and and, and roles and roles as well roles yeah. which which stem from abilities i guess you know in some sense yeah uh well not always yeah well because sometimes god i think gives people roles but they might not be the most able in that role perhaps yeah but, but you're you're assuming something now okay well should we just move on no <laughs> um okay wait 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 so you've got you've got um equality in roles and that the role is determined like if you're gonna if you came up to me and like you said earlier somebody came up to you at church what's your view of women in the church and if i was an egalitarian i'd say well if they're gifted yeah to lead Mm -hmm. then they should lead we shouldn't hold them back yeah, you don't hold anybody back if God has gifted them. How arrogant could that be to take take the giftedness of God and put a muzzle on it? Not just arrogant, how racist or sexist. Yeah, yeah. And uh, of course, we live in an age where, we, where we're proud to have overcome so much. Yeah. I mean, we, we look at sh- with shame mm-hmm. on a lot of things of the past, and I, I'm completely there as well. Yeah. Um, what about what's your view on... Um, uh, in the house, you know, are are men or husbands to be in authority over the wife? Is the wife supposed to? Here's the S word again. Submit to the husband, and the answer would be no. There's mutual submission, mm-hmm. and um, and the leadership in particular is is again dependent on. I mean, uh, is determined by giftedness, but there's no one that is in ultimate authority. It's, it's uh, equal authority. Mm-hmm. So whenever big decisions in the house come up, it's, it's an equal authority thing. It's well, a, then the roles within the house, who does the cooking, who do, does the dishes, who does the laundry and all those things. I mean, it's, uh, it's, and I'm, I'm not who saying, goes to work. Yeah. Who goes to work? Who stays home? What are the roles and stuff? And I'm not saying that women should always do laundry and stuff like that. But what I'm saying is that, that when you look at, at the roles in the house even and things like that that uh, egalitarian would definitely say uh, at a philosophical level that there is absolutely no difference between a man and a woman mm-hmm. or, and a woman in any role that that maybe was traditionally mm-hmm. uh, attached to either mm-hmm. male or female now the problem that comes what well, what is from a christian standpoint um, traditionally the church has been has not been egalitarian Mm. Uh, we have been complementarian. Believing. And by traditionally, we're not saying the 1950s. Yeah. We're saying traditionally the history of the church going yeah. way back. All the way back to the beginning. Yeah. Um, why do you think that is the case? What is the, the thing that stands out the most that you would say, goodness, I mean, of course we're complementarian. Of course we've always been complementarian because what is that? What is the because? I would say scripture. Yeah, it is. I mean, there's just certain passages of scripture mm-hmm. that stand out that that whenever you're interpreting them, and I'm going to use this bad word for a lot of people, but whenever you're looking at them at face value, they mm-hmm. seem to be teaching something that mirrors complementarianism. Mm-hmm. So that's part of the things that uh, we'll have to deal with whenever we're defending the complementarian position, trying to figure out what the scriptures that seem to be teaching um, seemed not to support the egalitarian position. How do we how do we defend that? Because we want to be faithful to the scripture, not oh, not no matter what position we take. And and remember, these people who are egalitarians, you've got Craig Keener, 
Mm-hmm. You know, a Bible background commentator who is a wonderful commentator. He knows mm-hmm. his stuff. Mm-hmm. You can't come in and say he's biblically illiterate or he doesn't handle the text of the scripture yeah, well. He's way smarter than you are. Oh goodness! I mean, it's well, he's close. <laughs> uh, what about what about uh, um, Gordon Fee, mm-hmm. uh, New Testament scholar? I mean, goodness, uh, textual critic. Uh, everything you could say good about this guy. Yeah, he he he's there. Loves the Lord. Strong mm-hmm. in the faith, mm-hmm. defends the faith, yet mm-hmm. he's now egalitarian. Mm-hmm. We could go through a lot of people who are egalitarians and and really demonstrate um, how uh, prominent this position really is. So I don't want anybody to think that this is a minority. I mean, maybe it's a minority. I don't know. I'm not ready to say that. But I don't want anybody to think it doesn't have its key representatives that are that are very able to defend the position and are very well respected. There, there's a lot of them out there. So keep that in mind as we are uh, going to be uh, defending this. We're not defending some weird position that's just out there somewhere that not very many people hold to. And I think a lot of people, you know, from our traditions and maybe a lot of the people that listen to this broadcast um, would assume differently. Mm. Okay, but we've, we've got a couple passages of Scripture. And I think, I think one, of the, one of the main ones, when we're talking about women in ministry, that's mm-hmm. what we're talking about here. Yep. It has implications, other implications. We're just titling it that. But when we talk about women in ministry, we've got Paul discussing this with Timothy. And, and I guess whenever we look at Timothy and the, the pastoral epistles, as they're mm-hmm. sometimes called, these are instructions on the church. I mean, I love to read the pastoral epistles as a, as a church leader, as a pastor. Me too. Well, and especially as a church leader, my name is Timothy. I feel like Paul's writing it right he to is, me. He is. So. I, I never thought about that, but that's helpful. Um, <laughs> we've got uh, Paul writing to Timothy, kind of saying, you know, this is, this is the way to conduct ourselves in the household of God. Mm-hmm. And uh, you as a pastor, you as a leader, you as, a, you as a, someone who uh, I'm leading in charge here, mm-hmm. here's how to do things. Mm-hmm. And at one point, he begins to talk about um, uh, women and how they are to conduct themselves. It says, it says um, after giving some uh, kind of instructions for um, men in general, it says, I want men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without dissension. First Timothy chapter 2 is where I'm at, and I'm moving to verse 9. Likewise, I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing, modestly and discreetly, not with braided hair, braided hair and gold or pearls or costly garments, but rather by means of good works, as benefits women making the claim to godliness. Now here, here here's the rub, because nobody's going to have too much problem with modesty yet, you know. Here's the rub. Let a woman quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness. I do, but I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. For it was Adam who was first created and then Eve. And it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman being quite deceived fell into transgression. But women shall be preserved through the bearing of children if they continue in faith and love and sanctity with self-restraint. Now, goodness, I mean, seems pretty clear. Yeah. Women don't teach men. I mean, at least, it, not women don't teach, but women don't teach men. So it, it, from, from the egalitarian perspective, obviously you're going to have to try to come up with some way to understand that. Well, can I tell you how I would understand it as an egalitarian? Sure. 
I mean, one thing I would start looking at the beginning of this passage and saying, well, Paul is leading into it with a lot of cultural uh, cultural relativity in, in the way that he is saying that, that women shouldn't uh, braid their hair when women shouldn't wear gold or pearls um, or costly attire. I mean, I think that he's we're seeing here that, that Paul is, is starting to to talk about things that our wives do <laughs> and things that 21st century women do. And so, so uh, there is a, a crack in the door that's open saying that is this entire paragraph uh, contextualized towards the first century where a 21st century view is going to be a little different. Well, what you're saying is that everything that the Bible says we don't necessarily do. That's right. Yeah. Well, and that's the famous thing. Like, well, do you still, you know, did you sacrifice or whatever last night, you know, over your campfire or anything like that? And you say no. And, and so, I mean, we can look at scripture. Jeremiah is saying that, hey, we're in a new covenant now, not the old covenant and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but but specifically like head coverings and stuff like that. I, mean, I think, Or, or yeah, greeting one another with a with holy, a holy kiss. kiss. You know, yeah. you, I noticed you didn't do that with me today and I was offended because I, I don't know if you think I'm a brother in Christ. And... I, I will never do that. Okay. <laughs> well, I, I'm thankful you will never do That's that. It. I'm, I'm signing off, folks. <laughs> <laughs> we don't do that. We, there are certain things things that it tells us to do that we don't do. That's right, yeah. And, and we don't do it because we're saying this is this is this really appears to be something that was a local thing mm-hmm. and isn't a for all ages, for all churches, for all time. This is a truth that I'm passing on to you. But sometimes we do do it, we just do it in other forms like we give a handshake. Yeah, or or we're hospitable, or yeah. we're we're friendly to each other, or you know, it's it's kind of the what was the meaning behind the words? What is the principle that is being said? And with the head coverings or the holy kisses, that is an expression of the principle rather than the principle itself, well, which then, can change from culture to culture. And then there's hyperbole in scripture as well, where Jesus says, you know, if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out, and and, mm-hmm. and stuff like it, mm-hmm. cut off your hands or mm-hmm. whatever. I mean, we're not expecting people to do that literally. Yeah, and so you know. Does this passage, which seems to go against uh, this, uh, you know, 21st century, we're not sexist, we're not these these bad things, and so how can we follow this passage? And so what you're saying is that that one of the main defenses, the least you would have, is the yeah. the kind of cultural thing that because of the way that the culture was set up at the time, yeah. Paul did not allow a woman to teach. Yeah. And so it would really require quite a bit of knowledge and cultural understanding of, of what is going on here in yeah. order to do that. And maybe like most women, and I'm just going out on a limb here because I'm, I'm an egalitarian who isn't well, yeah. <laughs> well rehearsed here, but I would say that, you know, maybe you could make a point. I mean, I am familiar with the first century and a point that, that most of the women weren't educated in the first century. Mm-hmm. And so maybe they weren't as, uh, you know, they didn't know the Old Testament perhaps because they weren't able to read and different things perhaps. And mm-hmm. so so maybe in the first century, a woman specifically uh, wasn't capable maybe and, and wasn't prepared enough to teach mm-hmm. just based on the way that the first century was. Well, I think even complementarians are often um, willing to... Uh, allow for that yeah the biggest problem that they're gonna have and we're gonna continue to defend egalitarianism i'm not trying to just turn this around and say all right let's go ahead and answer it and beat it up yeah but we need to answer we, we need to understand the full scope of the problem yeah. when especially when you go to the cultural thing it, part of the problem is because paul whenever he defends this he says that uh 
women are to receive instruction with entire submissiveness. I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. Teach or exercise authority. Those two may be connected. Either way, we've got two uh, very clear things. For, because, here's the explanation of it. Yeah. He doesn't say because, you know, women aren't very smart today and they haven't read their Bible. Or not smart, that. just not uh, not educated or not, not, educated. Uh, not literate, perhaps, or mm-hmm. something. So mm-hmm. so what, what we're saying is Paul actually gives the reason. He doesn't leave it up to us to say, well, is it maybe some contextualization here? Yeah. Um, so what we're looking at is, is Paul's reasoning... Is that centered on the first century, or is it greater than the first That's century? That's right. Is it is it cultural, or is it theological? Yeah, and so Paul's going to answer this. And he says, for it was Adam, a different culture, different, I mean, you can't link different Adam to the period. culture. No. For it was Adam who was first created, then Eve, which is interesting. I don't get it as a complementarian, really what Paul's saying here. Mm. I, I'll admit that. Mm. But he says, the reason for this is because Adam was created first, and then Eve. Not because of the culture and another. So it seems like we got number one reason. It was Adam, the priority in creation. Mm-hmm. Paul sees some theological relevance in the priority and the creation. Number two, this is more situational of what happened. And it was Adam who was, de- it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman being quite deceived fell into transgression. So, I mean, he, he seems to see the woman. Uh, the best I would take this at face value is the woman at this point in Paul's mind is more easily deceived because mm. they are represented by Eve who was more easily deceived. Now, I don't know how to rec- do that because Adam ate the fruit too, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's really confusing for me. And Adam probably should have been a leader in his family at that time too, preventing Eve from eating and stuff like yeah, that, that, which yeah. he wasn't. And uh, yeah, it's, that was, that's not the reasoning I would have given if I would have given a, a, a defense. Of, so you're saying of Paul what? was wrong? No, what I'm saying is that <laughs> God surprises us many times with the way that that He reasons things. I think in the in the essence that, and what one thing I love about Scripture is that if if God gave His message to a marketing company, they would have not come up with Scripture. But Scripture is so honest and it's so unashamedly truthful that that God communicates things that rub us the wrong way sometimes mm-hmm. and uh, and make us feel like is offensive. like people. Yeah, yeah. This is. I mean, it's, it's definitely offensive to our 21st century ears for mm-hmm. sure but it's it's unashamed in that you know and that's why even jesus could look at peter and say get behind me satan mm-hmm. his closest follower mm-hmm. and call him satan you know mm-hmm. it's almost as if god sometimes wants to push Do you mind if away. i say that to you sometime no go ahead it's kind I of mean, biblical well if you were christ and if i was peter but well we're supposed to follow the example of christ right yeah, well, that might be a different show. But <laughs> <laughs> yes, we are supposed to follow the example of Christ. But okay, well, you've anyway. given you, you've given the idea of this cultural this cultural relativity that we all agree is present in places, and it's very hard to determine in some places in Scripture. Yeah, and, and then here, um, I, I would maybe approach it this way if I'm a egalitarian. Okay. I, I think that this is the best argument I can put forward, and we're going to give us some more formal arguments in a little bit and kind of lay them out point by point. Mm-hmm. But if I was an egalitarian, since you said if you were egalitarian, how would you approach it? If I was an egalitarian, I might say it's more subjective rather than relative, which means it depends upon the culture. Um, I would say it's more subjective to Paul. It depends upon Paul's opinion. 
Because what I see in Paul sometimes him saying, I got this opinion about this. You know, mm-hmm. in Corinthians, he says, I, I, I'm under the opinion that woman, this is not from me, but it's not from the Lord, but it's from me. I think that because of the times, uh, it's better to stay single. Mm-hmm. Okay? And I, th- I take that as an opinion. I don't take it as... Uh, I don't take it as something that you say, okay, it's an opinion in Scripture, but since it's in Scripture, it becomes authoritative Mm. in the sense that it's no longer an opinion. It's Mm. still an opinion. Mm. It's just an inspired opinion that that, uh, Paul was inspired to give his opinion, Mm -hmm. but it's still an opinion, kind of like a proverb. If it's a proverb in the Scripture, and a proverb means that it's a general truth that doesn't necessarily apply in all situations, it's a wise statement, Mm -hmm. because it's in the Scripture doesn't automatically make it an eternal truth that will always apply in every situation. It's still a proverb, still follows by the rules of a proverb. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, I see what you're saying. And so, when I might Paul, disagree with you a little bit on Paul's, well, uh, you know, saying this is opinion, but it's not. I think it would still bear the weight of Scripture in its authority and things like like God gives it gives that His approval in allowing it to be in Scripture. Yeah, possibly. But if it's if if we're talking about from an egalitarian perspective, and Paul says, in my thoughts, um, I don't think. That a woman should exercise authority over. Because listen to this, he says, he says here, um, I but but I do not allow a woman to teach, or to exercise authority over a man. I would say, goodness, Paul, why didn't you say don't allow a woman to teach or exercise? You've been so authoritative mm-hmm. in, in so many other things. Why all of a sudden do you make it subjective? Your argument subjective. I don't allow that. Mm-hmm. And so I might approach this as an egalitarian and say, well, that was Paul's opinion. And why is it subjectively like that? Because of the cultural situation. So you got kind of both there. Okay. Paul is dealing with it in his culture, and probably uh, it, it was a very good opinion at the time. But would you take it when Paul says something like, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority, then we should we should do the same thing that Paul's doing. Not necessarily, because, I mean, that was just simply his opinion based upon his particular situation. Okay. So so if an egalitarian approaches you and says, that was Paul's opinion, then we don't need to follow that because that was Paul's opinion. I would say that in cer- cer- certain passages of Scripture, if it seems to be an opinion, mm-hmm. it, it is an inspired something based upon a situation but it doesn't necessarily mean that it is applicable in all situations. And today, okay. we don't have the same situation as Paul, so therefore, his opinion has already subjective sub, sub, made that particular thing subjective. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not an egalitarian, and yeah. I, I would kind of take that and say, well, you know, we, we've still got the issue of the theological rooting of it, and, yeah. and, and I don't really see the need at this point to say that he's saying, it's just my opinion, even if you did subscribe to this idea that whenever he says, I, not the Lord, give mm-hmm. you this, you know. Mm-hmm. But let, let, let me go and um, just begin here um, to talk about a little bit of, uh, of the arguments that will be put forward. I think we've touched on it. We're running out of time here for this broadcast, but we've touched on one of the main things that we're going to have to deal with more later, and this is the cultural thing. And, and I'm, I want to leave this with everybody as you're listening, just to kind of stew on for a little bit, because mm-hmm. uh, there are some things in Scripture that seem to suggest a certain cultural, uh, I wouldn't say mandate, but norm mm-hmm. that do not exist anymore, that we have, that, that was allowed for in Scripture, that was, gosh, what is the, the best way to put it, facilitated by God, um, um, 
he he condescended to the way culture was Mm -hmm. and therefore gave commands based upon the way culture was. Mm -hmm. And let me give you a real key example that everybody uses, Mm -hmm. and I think it's the best one to use for defending egalitarianism, and that's slavery. Mm -hmm. We we got in the Ephesians uh, direct, I mean, all throughout Scripture, but in Ephesians uh, specifically, direct commands about slaves and how they are to be submissive to their masters. Mm -hmm. But we don't look at that and say, gosh, slavery's okay then. Yeah. We say this, and here's the argument I would make about that. Anytime people talk to me, what do you do with that slavery stuff in Scripture? Because it doesn't ever seem to be completely overturned. Mm -hmm. And so you're right. And God mysteriously doesn't come in and overturn cultures immediately. Mm -hmm. He works from within. If there are cultural norms Sometimes he comes in and he just blows them out of the water. Mm-hmm. Idolatry. Mm-hmm. You know, don't create an idol, period. Or the though. culture of Pharisees. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, just completely changes it. But sometimes, mysteriously, he allows things that are odd to us to yeah. continue to go on, even though we would say in 21st century America, hey, that is, that's really, really not politically correct. Well, and I would even maybe go go in a slightly different direction with that and say, that one of the reasons he doesn't just flat out uh, overthrow slavery, one being that that's what his people are for, but then are for the following, you know, so Jesus coming isn't going to quickly just say, okay, this, I'm fixing this, 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 and this. It's, it's my people. And so you can make a good case that Christians were the ones who ended slavery in the Roman empire and the British empire and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but then saying, I think what what he's saying in scripture though too in telling them how they're supposed to act as slaves is that there's something that's more important than just slavery. And I think so instead of him coming in and changing these societal things which are temporal, I think he's saying that the eternal is much more important. Mm-hmm. And so the that your character and the way that you act as a believer is more important in whatever situation you're in. If you're a slave, if you're a master, whatever life finds you as a believer is making sure that your eternal uh, destiny is much more important than your temporal destiny. Yeah, but you're you're answering the egalitarian question too quickly right now. You're being a complementarian. And you're 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 not. Well, I was just talking about slavery. Yeah, I know, but, but still, I'm trying to give a good argument here for egalitarianism. And you're trying yeah. to shoot it down real fast. I I don't think I was. I was just talking about slavery. Well, I know, but it's a it's the best argument I think is to say compared to slavery, and you just shot it all down. Okay, sorry. Well, <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, okay. Is... E- either way, he, here's here's what I would say as a compliment to egalitarian, right? Okay. I would simply say this that that slavery was something that God allowed, even though He did not approve. Yeah. Um, gosh, would we call it patriarchalism? Mm. I would if I'm an egalitarian. Mm-hmm. Patriarchalism in the Old Testament, the New Testament, just because God gives rules that facilitate that cultural way of doing things. What is patriarchalism? Um, men, men are the leaders. Run the show. Yeah. yeah. In society. The good old that. boy network. Yeah, yeah. Um, he facilitated that, but that doesn't mean he approved of it. Mm-hmm. And so this is Paul facilitating that which is going on. Just as we have a mandate, you said earlier, to overflow throw slavery, and I guess you're right, you didn't really argue against this point because that's mm-hmm. the next step. Mm-hmm. We, as God's people, should 
overthrow based upon our understanding of deeper principles overthrow slavery, so also should we overthrow patriarchalism. Mm. And so while we understand why Paul facilitated it, God facilitated slavery, Paul facilitated slavery, doesn't mean that we shouldn't overthrow it. Mm. And we'll talk more about this. This is um, called uh, redemptive theology, or, mm. or um, uh, where we're trying to push it to the next step. Mm. Mm. And, and next week, uh, we'll, we'll talk about that. And, and we'll compare it to slaves again, but mm. we'll also compare it to homosexuals mm. and, and see how that works. Mm. Because see. homosexuals will make the same argument sometimes whenever they're Christians, and they say, well, wait a minute. Yeah. Maybe homosexuality was just a cultural thing that was bad then, but it's not really eternally bad. Yeah, yeah. Or maybe not homosexuality in itself, but some of the ways that someone is a homosexual too. I've heard arguments yeah. along those ways. Yeah. So, so homosexuals who aren't hospitable, yeah. <laughs> then that's uh, that was one of the bad things about Sodom and Gomorrah. Mm-hmm. Different things. Well, so. it's just a whole cultural issue, and it's the whole whole thing of trying to deal with well. If you do that, you've opened the door to be able to get rid of anything, yeah, including homosexuality. I'm going to show you next week the difference, or we're going to talk about the difference that egalitarians would say. Hold up, yeah, you're, you're misunderstanding us. We do not say this, and you're, you you can't just all of a sudden say, well, it's okay for homosexuals as well, because there's a definite line that that you can point to and a direction mm-hmm. that is going when we're talking about redeeming culture, mm-hmm. and, and the Bible goes in the opposite direction with homosexuality. All right, Tim, next week. This we'll is good this. stuff. Good stuff to talk about. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's it's important stuff. It's 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 interesting stuff. It's practical stuff. Yeah, it really is. And, and it's it's the Bible. Mm-hmm. And, and we're not just theorizing and having fun and saying, well, no. there's this, and you know, people disagree, and it's neat that they disagree. Guys, we got to follow the scriptures. We do. I mean, in the end, we want to follow the whole counsel of God. We want to apply it in our lives and our families. We don't want to be sensitive to culture to the degree that we're willing to sacrifice the scriptures. Yeah, and we don't want to be closed-minded in any way towards, uh, I mean, I think it's good to to kind of break it down a little bit and yeah. say, okay, if I didn't, if I looked at this in a different lenses than I have right now, let's look at that from that perspective. But then we don't want to be tried as well. We want to have reverence for yeah, the word of God yeah, too. And yeah. so, so I mean, I think that this is a good way to go about it. And, you know, hopefully no one feels uncomfortable leaving it the where we did leave it. Yeah. Because I think it's good to, to say, you know, we, we uphold the word of God very highly, yet it's good to talk about these things. Yeah. And, and we're going to get some women's perspectives in here. We're not going to be yeah. You know, functioning, uh, kind of begging the question yeah. of the issue by not having a woman in here. So we'll have one come in sometime and we'll talk about that as well. And in the next couple of weeks, hopefully we will have call in show capabilities. Yep. Call in show. Get ready for that. We'll have you guys call in and and be able to beat him up and all his uh, heresy. Guys, uh, it's great to have you. We'll uh, join us next week. Remember, we are best accessed, at least right now, from from uh, iTunes. Yes. But you can go to our main website, reclaimingthemind.org, and um, and click on the Theology Unplugged tab, and you'll find the RSS feed, you'll find the art, uh, iTunes. So get that, send it to your friends, let people know we're, we're really pushing forward with this and things are going well, and we want to uh, hear from you. Uh, if you have any questions or comments right now and you just want to tell us, hey, glad you're, the show's going well, we love to hear these things, give us an email at theologyunplugged at reclaimingthemind.org theologyunplugged at reclaimingthemind.org uh, 
for Tim. Uh, this is Michael, and we will uh, join you next week. You have been listening to Theology Unplugged. Visit our iTunes page by searching Theology Unplugged at the iTunes Store. All episodes are available as free downloads. These broadcasts are made possible by Reclaiming the Mind Ministries. Reclaiming the Mind Ministries is a listener-supported ministry. If you enjoyed this session or benefited from it in any way, do consider partnering with us. For more information on how to become a ministry partner and for a complete listing of ministry resources, visit our homepage at www.reclaimingthemind.org. Thanks for listening, and God bless.